Well, we're going to be talking about life from the perspective of God's kingdom and from the Bible as opposed to life from this human perspective in here. Because Pastor Daniel Vanderklok shared, and he, he shared from the book, from the book, from the game of life last week, uh, last Sunday. And uh, as he talked, he talked about translating from the earthly into the eternal. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to have some discussions about that, and I'm going to ask you guys for some input on that also. And as you look at this, this topic of the heavenly mindset or the Word of God as our, as our place where we get all of our information or what comes natural. I don't know about you, but what comes natural to me isn't necessarily good. I don't know, anybody else have that problem? Where what my natural reaction isn't always the best reaction. I have to kind of check myself um, when I'm up against circumstances. When, when we're checking ourselves, we're saying, God, what do you think about this situation? And we're maybe remembering back to a scripture that talks of, maybe addresses the situation that we are facing at that particular time. So, as we've done a lot on Wednesday nights um, in the past few months, we're going to ask maybe for some, some input or we're going to elicit a response from you guys. And the question that we're going to ask you, and those of you online, I um, want you to think about this and maybe give your responses directly to uh, Daniel and Ricky and Rachel over there. They're online. So give your responses directly to them through the chat. But the question that we really want to talk about tonight is, how does God's Word and what He says in His Word impact our, the, the way that we deal with conflict in our relationships? How does, how, does it, how does God's Word live it out from day to day? How do we live out God's Word from day to day and handling conflict? Because, you know, all it takes to have conflict in a relationship is to be in a relationship, right? I mean, no matter who you are, no matter how nice you are, no matter how perfect you both are, you're going to have disagreements in, in whether it's at work or in the home and marriage or with your children at home. No matter what you do, you're going to have disagreements. How you handle those disagreements makes all the difference in the world. So how do you think, the question is simplified, how is it that the biblical response to conflict, how does knowing what the Bible says change the way that you respond when you have a conflict, when you would have a conflict in your life or when someone has a conflict in their life? And I'm going to ask Ricky to come out there, and if someone has an idea just lift up your hand. Ricky's going to come over to you and uh, ask you to give your, your thoughts on that. How does the Bible and the knowledge of the Bible impact the way you handle conflict or the way someone would handle conflict in their life? Um, we aren't going to necessarily go into groups right here. I just would, if anybody has an idea, I want you to lift your hand and Ricky will run over to you and you can share, um, share your thoughts on that, if you would. So at our house, we have the scripture, a soft answer turns away wrath. And 
sometimes we don't always practice it, but when we remember and remind ourselves of that scripture, it makes a huge difference in the way we, we respond. Pastor Pat and Dory taught me that if you don't add wood to the fire, the fire will go out. I don't remember who said this. It might have been Dan Seaborn, but when you're having a conflict conversation, to pull up a seat, invite Jesus, and speak as if Jesus was right there with you because he is, but it's a visual reminder. I'm going to introduce who's up here with me. Um, I'm Bernie Blaukamp. I've been a pastor here since the uh, since 1990. So let's just uh, forget about longer than I've been since born. Since about since about the time he was born, um, <laughs> before you were born. Don't laugh. <laughs> anyway, this is Rick Reif. This is Jeanette's husband and Jesse Cabrera. He is Marty's husband. So. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to talk a little bit tonight. Um, the mindset of heaven or the biblical mindset versus the earthly or the human mindset is this topic of much discussion in scriptures. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 talked about, you have heard it said, but I say to you a whole bunch of times. One of them was, you have heard it said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say you should love your enemies and pray for those yeah. that hurt you. Rick, can you talk a little bit about that and how that applies? Rick, you're in business. You, you run a, a, a company. Um, how does that impact your daily life when it comes to what Jesus said about you have heard it said, but I say to you? How does that impact you when you're in business every day? Well, I think as a Christian, first off, being born again, you're set apart, you know, you, you believe and you have an expectation when you talk to an individual, um, your mannerisms need to be godly. Your words need to be encouraging, uplifting. You can get to the same result without, you know, being demonstrative or, you know, overbearing or unfriendly and having, you know, served the Lord now for rededicated 25 plus years, uh, it's never failed me. There's nothing better than, you know, you talk to a coworker about situations dealing with work and later on they ask you to pray for so-and-so. Like for instance, you as the head over this um, multiple location business, you have had to correct people. You have had to probably fire people. Certainly you've had yes. to reprimand people. And how can you do that and still demonstrate the love of Christ to them? Well, and a lot of those times they're in the wrong and they know that. And it's very easy for anyone to do the, the, the task of terminating or, you know, kicking them when they're down. And the love of God says don't do that. You know, we should lift them up, you know, and encourage. And you can still reprimand. You can still do the things that need to be done, but in a loving, godly way. And Jesse, um, talk a little bit about in your growing up, give us a little bit of your background yeah, yeah. and how you saw some of your uncles or cousins, um, how they treated their wife and their children 
and compare that to how you treat your wife and children and tell us why. Yeah, a little backstory in a nutshell. Don't know my biological father. Um, stepdad was involved, but not relational, more, more just a provider punisher. Uh, then parents divorced by the time I'm in fifth grade. So all this happens. All sisters grow up with grandma, grow up with mom. No male influence. Got a couple of uncles. Um, really at that time introduced me to the wrong things. Uh, and so just really didn't have the right upbringing. Now you fast forward and I hear this gospel about Jesus Christ. And uh, you had asked, how do you treat your wife now versus what you saw growing up? Because reality was the example wasn't there. Um, and it really does come down to identity, uh, knowing the identity you have in Jesus Christ. When you think about your ID, your personal ID, think about that right now. A lot of us want to cover our pictures when we have our ID. Uh, but the reality is that piece of card shows and tells all about you if it's real. You know, there's also counterfeit versions. Uh, and, but the ID's purpose is to give you all of, talk to you or show people who you are. And then you look at the scriptures, you look at the word of God. I had to discover through the scriptures the identity of Christ first. And so when the gospel was given to me, I realized, oh, this is a mirror of myself. Uh, you go to Genesis, you look at in the beginning, he says, I'm made in God's image. I'll say that again, I'm made in God's image. And so you discover the identity. Now, I grew up not seeing the right model. Now I'm married with four kids today. Then how do I respond as a godly man now? Well, I look to scripture. Not only that, I look to men who have that fruit in their life. Pastor Bernie being one of them. You know, growing up, how they treat and talk to their, to, to their wives and their children. And so it's not just looking for that godly example in my life, but it was really looking to the scriptures here, knowing that, okay, I have to discover in my relationship, and that's the key thing, of who God is and how he really wants to shower his love on me as his son. And when I can do that, now I truly can reflect. But here's a flip side. When we don't go to the ID or the identification of who God truly is, and we only go to what we see in the natural, even if they're good people, we still can miss it. Because we can take the flaws of an earthly father, put it on the face of a heavenly father, and reflect something that's not really God because of a misdefinition. So the question is, how how do I impact and love my family and my, my wife and my kids? It's by truly going into the scriptures, going to the word of God, and realizing, oh, okay, he loves me unconditionally. Oh, 2 Corinthians tells me that I am made a new creation in Christ. Oh, I can wake up every morning and know that his grace is renewed every day. It's those things that help me out, Pastor Bernie, to really start pouring love out. Because my love towards my wife will fall short, but the Christ love in me that's unconditional will spill out of me and reach my wife to wherever she's at and vice versa. See, in Romans 5, it says the love of God has been placed within your heart by the Holy Spirit. That's what you're talking about. He's talking about the love of God that God literally supernaturally places in your heart so it can come from God, go into your heart, and then go out from you to love your family. That's exactly what I'm saying. I love it with my kids when we overflow something. They, it just it brings joy. It's a mess on the table, but it brings joy. How much more with God's love when he does that? Yeah, so you, you talked about um, not really knowing who your biological father was and your, your stepfather, your, the, the, your mom's husband, was in the home, but he was more of a disciplinarian and not a lot of sonship toward you. He didn't treat you like a son. 
He, he, he probably did in some ways, but you didn't really feel like a son. There was a claim. There was definitely a claim of being a son, but there's got to be fruit. There's got to be the relational aspect behind it, and it wasn't there. And so that was what I thought a father should be. You don't know this as a kid. Right. Right. So as you look at how Jesus treated others, is it safe to say, or is it, in your guys' opinion, that Jesus functioned on the earth as a servant. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can come to be served, but he came to serve. But, you know, the, the basis of being able to serve, whether it's your employees or whether it's your wife or whether it's anyone, the basis of being able to serve, to have the capacity to serve, you have to know who you are. Yep. See, in, in an orphan or an orphan spirit, someone who doesn't understand that they're God's child, they're God's son, someone who is not in that place, you're going to have a hard time serving because an orphan can't risk serving because they have to defend themselves. Talk about how sometimes you, you run into people and there always seem to be a competition with that person or everything's a competition and they have to one-up everything you do. That's a, a condition or that's a symptom of someone not being or not understanding that they're accepted in the beloved. Yeah, and I, I think on that, it's, that's the worldly game, you know, always trying to go higher you know, have the bigger toys, and I, I mean, and society teaches us that, yeah. you know, and, and unfortunately, until we are born again, we believe, and Holy Spirit, you know, when you mentioned that, I was like, yes, that leads me every day, you know, it keeps me on the straight and narrow as well, and, um, you know, but as a Christian, competition doesn't really come into play, it's really What's the outcome, you know? Something that you, you plant, you water, you want it to bear fruit, and you're willing to wait. You know, patience is such a key in, in that because it's not always on our time, but it's on God's time. As you look at some of these other, um, if you go to Matthew 5, you know, you have heard it said, yep. but I say to you. Um, pick one of those and, and expound on that, if you would, Jesse. <laughs> pick one of those. All right. He said, you're talking about the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and 6. He says, you know, you can love those who love you back, but, and paraphrasing it, but to love your enemies, too. And you mentioned earlier, sometimes that's just hard to do because we have feelings. Let's, let's be real. We have feelings. But I, I learned, and even growing up, I've learned that if I submit to those feelings at the moment, most likely I'm going to make a mistake in the process. You see, we know the fruit of the Spirit. We uh, claim it, but the tr truth is, do we apply it? The question is, do we apply it to our life? And so God said, Jesus says, love your enemies, you know, and, and feed, those, feed your enemies, you know, give them something to drink if they're thirsty. Uh, and it's, it's really an example and a demonstration that Jesus is asking us to do. Because how many of you guys know when Jesus teaches something, he demonstrates it, right? He teaches and he demonstrates. Forgive them, he talks about. And you go to John chapter 8, and he demonstrates what forgiveness. He's taught it this whole time, but then he demonstrates it in John 8 by the woman who was called in adultery. 
And so you see the activation of Jesus. It, it, you hear the phrase where it's like, you know, you can walk the walk, but, or you can talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk. And I think Jesus was that. And so when you look at when he says to love your enemies, well, what is an enemy? Which is literally, we can just simplify it because God's not a complicated God. It's someone that's opposing you. That's it. We, we have enemies at moments. They might be your friend, but you can still be at an enemy position. Family, that's a big one. Or is that just me? You know, it, it, I mean, you got, you got reunions and gatherings. And it's like God saying to love them even though they're opposing you in any way. A lot of times we get very defensive because we're believers and we're Christians. And we're going to forgive and we're going to do so. And we tend to hide behind God's word when in reality we have something in our own heart that's got to be addressed. And so what God says is when you love, you got to be vulnerable to me first let me, let me deal with those things inside so that my love can come out of you and to reach those enemies. And your, 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 your comment back could probably be this. Well, that's impossible to do. Well, Scripture says what's impossible to man is not possible, impossible to God. He can make it possible. And so for me, when I look at those things, I truly see I can't do this on my own. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. I need God's word for his guidance. And then I need the practice on earth which means it's going to come our way so we can activate and do what we need to do for, Christ, for his kingdom. You know, at, uh, later on it, in verse 21, it says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whoever says raka shall be in danger of the council, and whoever... And then it says, whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Boy, that's a tall order. That's a really tall order. It says that murder begins in the heart. That if you're angry at someone, I'll just give you a quick um, account of something that happened to me. But um, I, an event that happened in my life years and years ago, I was a coach for many, many years. I coached um, soccer and baseball and basketball and and uh, football, uh, didn't ever coach hockey or anything, but I coached those four things on a, on a pretty regular basis. Pretty much every season for 25 years, I was coaching something uh, for 25 years because I had five sons and they all liked sports, or at least I told them they liked sports, right? <laughs> so I coached all these teams, right? And I remember in particular one year where I was coaching baseball, and I had kind of like anybody remember the movie Bad News Bears, I had that team. I had like two players that knew how to play baseball and 11 that liked to pick daisies or pick dandelions and didn't know how to play baseball. And I was trying really hard, and we were getting beat a lot. And, uh, you know, I was just trying hard just to keep my nose above the water because I had very little um, natural talent in, in my talent pool on my team that year. So I remember I gave this one kid who, who wasn't one of the, like a kid who had some natural talent and I was working real hard trying to teach him how to, how to play. And um, I gave him a chance to pitch and I, I let him pitch and he, I let him pitch until he was about ready to, to uh, blow the game wide open, you know, cause he was walking people and then just throwing meatballs down the middle, and they were teeing off on him. And so I pulled him out. Of the, I pulled him out because he was gonna. We had the lead for once, right? We were actually ahead, and and so I didn't want to blow the game. So I pulled him out, 
and I stuck my son in to finish the game, and we won the game. Well, afterwards, <clears throat> the mother of the kid that I pulled out, the mother, you can imagine she wasn't real happy, and she came and just up one side and down the other. That's all I'm going to say about that. And uh, she yelled at me and called me everything but the person I am, and um, just really read me the riot act in front of everybody. And I stood there and took it, and I was like, I said, I'm sorry you feel that way. Um, I said, I think I could ask uh, 12 other parents, and they'd say I did the right thing. Your son was having a rough time. I, you should thank me, because he would have, it would have scarred him to get, you know, rocked for the next three innings, you know. So anyway, long story short, I found that, that in the middle of the night, that night, I couldn't sleep because I was so offended and I had hatred in my heart toward this woman because she attacked me unjustly in my mind, right? i never forget this. This is 20 years ago. But the point is, I had a seed of hatred in my heart toward this person just because they yelled at me and, and attack, verbally attacked me in public and I already had that seed of hatred in me. And I remember as it was like in the middle of the night and I woke up and I was angry at this person. And I, I was like, oh, I am in so much trouble. I disobeyed the Bible where it says, you shall not let the sun go down on your anger, neither give place to the devil. I gave the devil place. So I literally got out of bed. I remember this. I got out of bed. I got on my knees, and I, and I prayed for them, and I asked God to forgive me. I remember my wife said, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting right with God. And I got right with God. I asked God to forgive me. I forgave them. I was able to coach that kid the rest of the year, never think about it again. And by the way, she never did apologize because she didn't think she was wrong, but that's not the point. The point is I forgave them. I got right with God, got the anger and the hatred out of my own heart, and then I was free. See, when you forgive someone, you aren't saying what they did was okay. And if you wait for them to apologize, it may never happen. See, the only thing you can control is your will. You can control your will. So what you've got to do is you've got to say, God, what does your word say about my situation? So I looked at that and said, although she was wrong in saying what she did, I was wrong by, by being angry and offended and allowing a seed of hatred to come in my heart. So I had to repent for what I did wrong. So regardless of what someone else does to you, that your forgiving them does not make what they did okay. Your forgiving them plucks the root of hatred out of your own heart, and it allows you to be free. And what happened with that situation is I was able to then minister to this kid and really be a a light to this kid and a light to this family for many years to come because we kept bumping into him and he kept coming on to different teams that I coached and I had a relationship with them. And the funniest thing is they never, ever apologized, but it's okay <laughs> because I forgave them. The point that I'm trying to make is your will, you can control. You can decide to forgive because forgiveness is a decision. 
It's not an emotion. It's a decision. And what happens when you forgive, when I forgave that night, in the middle of the night when I humbled myself and I said, God, forgive me for for holding this thing against them. Forgive me for allowing the devil to have place in my heart to sow seeds of hatred. Because murder begins in the heart. And so whatever it is in your life that if someone has hurt you or talked bad about you, and in today's society, man, they're talking, everybody's talking bad about everybody all the time. If, if someone's talked bad about you, I would just implore you, forgive them. Don't wait for an apology. Forgive them because that's the only way to freedom. That's the only way out of it. That's good. And, you know, when you, when you talk about forgiveness, it's also the first step to your healing. There's different levels of things that we go through. You know, maybe you're one that went through something 20 years ago or 10 years ago, and it wasn't your fault. It had nothing to do with your actions, but you got the run end of the whole thing. Um, well, forgiveness, like Pastor Bernie was saying, is not to say, oh, it's okay, and we let it go. It's also not a denial, acting like it never happened. Forgiveness is saying, I'm taking the next step biblically to, know, to, to not hold any records of wrong and release that person so healing can happen in my heart. Even if they said sorry or not, or forgive me or not. The first step for your healing is for you to start asking God, help me forgive that person. Because you can't do it alone. You, you can't. I had a friend one time, Pastor Bernie, that said, it's hard being a Christian. And another friend said, well, it's not hard, it's impossible. But that's why God gave you the Holy Spirit, so it can be possible. And so maybe you feel like that's just a hard thing. And I've had hatred in my heart before too. And I had to show that to God, and I felt like this is never going to go away. But what was impossible to me is not impossible to God. And so that first step was just revealing it to God, moving your hands, let God's hands coming in to do the operation and the work in your heart. And then to allow him to help you release that person. That's where you're going to find freedom and healing is in that forgiveness. And, and I think when we do forgive, God's way is always better. It's always bigger. It's always more clear. And, you know, the longer you serve Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in you, the more times you'll see that, you know, because we all have road rage, you know, and, and they're out there, right? You know, I just drive in the right lane anymore because I've, I've given it to Jesus. Let them, let Jesus handle that. You, you don't know? let go of the wheel though, right? Uh, no, no, I don't oh, let go okay, of the okay, wheel. No, nope, I'm not carrying. I don't let go. But, you know, it's just not worth it, you know. And, and two, you know, when we, when we talk about, you know, a murderous heart and things, it zaps your joy. And I always like to be and, and train up and mentor a half cup full person, you know, and I believe that's Jesus as well. And the Holy Spirit always gives you a way out, gives you direction. And I believe that's the half cup full thing as well. You know, as I journey through this, like everyone else, dealing with the same issues out there. So God's way is always better. And, and I'm the more and more you give it to God, it's just like, what am I thinking? Here, take this. It gets easier. You know, I think that's a perfect example, Rick, of something I imagine in my heart a lot. I just imagine, I'm very visual with God and I, and I always imagine a throne in my heart. And I always want Jesus in that throne. 
But there are moments where when bitterness comes up or a grudge or someone you saw and you forgot about and then they're, they're back in your life or you've encountered them at Meyer or whatever, we start forgetting about who's enthroned and put that person enthroned. And so what keeps me accountable is to make sure that whoever's enthroned there is not Jesus got to get out and I got to put Jesus back on there. And that helps me in my process Amen. of keeping my heart straight. But in order to give up and let God, to, to give up your right to be angry, right? There's some, there's some kind of a, a thrill that happens when you, you know you're right and you know the other person's wrong. And why in the world would I give them a free pass? Talk about that. Because there's like, dang it, I'm right, right? It's a flesh thing. <laughs> I've died out to that, honestly. Oh, that's good. Beautiful. I mean, that's you good. Know, He's I, further along than me. I, I don't deal with that. You know, I, I believe, you know, serving God is, is a process, and there's things that we get past, you know, like milk and honey. I mean, yeah. and I don't hold animosity. I don't hold bitterness. That's the Lord's. Nothing, I, I guess the thing I could say shortly to that, it's not going to zap my joy. Now, why do I say that? I've had my joy zapped. You know? I just became a granddad, too, like four days ago. So I'm on a high being. (laughs) You know, but seriously, I do not let my joy get zapped. You know, and the people around you that you influence, family, kids, you know, we've got responsibilities as well to make sure that we show them there's light you know, and be that light, be, in, be an earthly light, you know, through Jesus. So, As you look at what Jesus did on the cross and what Stephen, the deacon, he was one of the first deacons, and how when they were killing him, when they were literally murdering him with stones, he said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. And Jesus said from the cross, after they had beaten him, mocked him, shamed him, stripped him, whipped him, spit on him, slapped him in the face, pulled out his beard, every kind of disrespect that you could do to a person, they did to Jesus. Within, with, it says he was beaten so badly that he was marred beyond human recognition. And yet he said to them, to God, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you could say, well, that was Jesus. Well, Stephen did the same thing, and he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you've asked, you, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit just like Stephen. Yeah. So there's no difference between you and Stephen, and Stephen did the same thing. He said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge or forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the place of identity where we started a few minutes ago. That as a son, and it does, uh, son is not a gender thing. Son is a position of preferred authority. So whether you're a, a man or a woman, you can be a son. Because you know why I say that? Because even though I'm a man, he, the, the Bible calls me the bride of Christ. So hey, get over it, right? So as a son... You can have the position of acceptance that you can look, like Rick is saying, you can look beyond your rights 
can look your, beyond your right to be offended. You can look beyond your right to be angry or your right to hold a grudge. You can look beyond that as a son because you are identified as his son, his child. It's a position of authority and a position of privilege. He said that we've been seated with him in heavenly places at his right hand. That we're seated in heavenly places, far above all power, dominion, and might. Far above all the power of the enemy. See, that, that's the authority that he's, been, he's given to us. So don't decide to get down in the mully grubs with all the stuff down here when you've been placed far above all of it. So I guess I want to encourage all of us to just to take the position of I'm not going to get down in the middle of all the fray down here. I'm not going to get into all the discussions, whether it's CNN or Fox News or, or whoever it is, whatever side of the, that coin you're on. Don't get in the middle of it because there's no life there. It's only arguments and foolishness. Both sides are arguments and foolishness. Get above it all. Get above it all in your position of who you are in Christ. And you can live above all that. So that when all that's going on, you could say, well, it's a good thing that my home's in heaven. Because this world's going somewhere else in a handbasket in a big hurry. Okay? You can say, it's a good thing that I am a citizen of heaven. Because the rest of it doesn't seem to be going very good right now. In the middle of all that, you can just look and say, man, I am above that. Not in a prideful, like, self, uh, self-centered self way, but I am in Christ and he's placed us. We're above all that. Amen. We can truly live above it that's because that's, that's where we've been placed in Christ Jesus, in God's kingdom. Can I, can I share something really Absolutely. quick that I, I feel like God wants me to share with you guys? Quick story. I have four kids, my oldest son. Uh, he's 13 today, and he has the same shoe size as me. It's just insane, insane, insane right now. And so I, you think about the prodigal son. We know the story of the prodigal son. If you don't, um, I highly encourage you to go read that in the New Testament. But it's about a boy who left his father, took his inheritance, and the Bible says that he squandered it or he, he, he lived a wild life, uh, got to the point where he was eating out of same things that pigs were eating, realized, ah, if I go back to work for my dad, at least I can get some good food in my belly. He comes back and is restored to sonship when he thought, I'm just going to become a worker for my dad. And, and the father restored him back to sonship. And he gave him the best, is what the scripture was saying. They gave him a robe, a ring, the shoes. They, they slaughtered the fattest calf. They had a party because his son came back. And he, here's what I wanted to share with you guys and why I shared this with, uh, about my, my son's shoe size. So my son said, Dad, I need, I need some shoes. We're going to a family gathering. Uh, he literally, like, overnight outgrew his shoes, like all his shoes. They were all, he had like five pairs. He has no pairs now. And I remember thinking, oh, man, like, what in the world is happening? And so I'm like, you know what? I'm his dad. I'm going to just buy him new shoes. I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him the best of shoes. You know, it's just kind of my heart as a father. I want to give him some Nikes. And I heard the Spirit of God tell me, why don't you give him your Nikes? Because that's the best in the house. That was challenging to me. I'm just going to be really honest with you. That was really challenging to me. But the truth is this. I jumped at that opportunity because I realized when the scripture says that the father gave to the son, he was giving him his robe, his shoes, his 
ring. And Christ did the same thing. He gave us his righteousness. We are sitting at the seat that with him as co-heirs with Christ next to the Father. You see, when you, when you, you think about the best that God's going to give to you, you got to understand he's given himself all to you. That's sonship. We have to receive that as sonship. Because can you imagine in that story if the son said, no, I'm out of here, Dad. I'm gone. We would call that foolish. But yet sometimes we do that to our God. Because we want to sit in where we're at, the pig, where all the pigs eat, right? Metaphorically speaking. And so my encouragement to you is, 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 is very simple. God called you up to sonship. Pastor Bernie talked about being above. Scripture says, fix your eyes on the things above and not below. So when you, when, you look at, when you look at what Christ is calling us to do, when we look at what he did for us, you see there's a calling in your life. And before we try to uh, interpret that as a position on earth, remember what he's calling you to, to is sonship in heaven. And you can represent that on earth. And so wherever you're at, wherever you're sitting in your position here on earth, whatever situation or conflict you're going through, God's called you at a higher level like Pastor Bernie was just teaching. Jesse, I feel like you're supposed to land the plane here (laughs) and uh, offer an invitation. Yes, I will, definitely. You know, here's the invitation, not from me, but from from our Heavenly Father. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, says this. It's very simple. If you believe with your heart, and you confess with your mouth as Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you'll be saved. Even Acts chapter 4, I believe it's verse 12, says, call on the name of Jesus and you'll be saved. But the big question is, saved from what? And it's very simple. Saved from being eternally separated from God. You don't want that. Heaven is real. Hell is real. That's why God sent his son on a rescue mission. I love thinking about Jesus coming from heaven down to earth because I think of this helicopter that's on a rescue mission and there's people drowning in the water and you can visualize it with me and you see one person coming down, grabbing that person and elevating back up to safety. That's what Jesus did. He left heaven, he came down, grabbed us and brought us back to him. But you have to receive, you have to answer that call. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't say, I'll pray on it later. I I never got that. When people said, let me pray about that. The Bible says it's now. This offers to you now. So here's the invitation that God's given to you. And it's an invitation. You want Jesus. I need Jesus. I want to recommit to Jesus. On the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up right now. I see you. This is your time. I just want Jesus. I see you. But most importantly, God sees you right where you're at. We got a couple of people here that want to make this decision. Church family, let's, let's celebrate and let's do it with them. So let's go ahead and close our eyes and bow our head. And those online. And those online. Thank you, Pastor Bernie. If, the, if you're online and you're watching and you said, that is me, comment. Let us know. We want to celebrate with you. But I also want to lead you in a prayer. doesn't matter where you're at. God's love reaches wherever you're at. No distance can stop, stop his love for you. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. So if that is you, let's pray. Heavenly Father, repeat after me, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for my life. But most importantly, thank you for Jesus. I know he died for me on the cross. He raised to life again. Lord, forgive me of my sins. 
put your spirit in my heart. I simply call out on the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all celebrate. Say amen. 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 Amen.